are making progress. <laughs> I remember when I first started this text, I had come up to, with uh, about 41 points that I wanted to deal with, and I uh, managed to get it down to eight. Uh, but I think this is the 18th message. So perhaps I will cover the 41 points. I'm just going to do it in a different way. If you would please uh, join with me in prayer and then we'll read the word of the Lord. Father, we come now to hear you. Father, may your spirit, as we just sang, fall fresh on us. As Father, as we look at the this amazing text that is before us, the old covenant and contrasted to the new covenant. Father, in this day and age, with the corruption that is so rampant, Father, may your spirit seal our hearts and minds in Christ. Father, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, so much in our life is trying to dissuade us to draw us into entanglement. And yet, Father, in just an economy of words, the Apostle Paul shows us the awesomeness of being a child of the living God. To your glory, to your praise, in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning in verse 6, who has also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory... Much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Their minds were hardened for this very day. The reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Today is going to be a little difficult because I have to deal with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Um... And I don't have six months because you will lose the meaning of the contrast of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So I will be covering a lot of ground uh, in the next few weeks on the fact that the New Covenant is spirit-energized. When we review this thing, we see that this New Covenant in the person of Christ, it gives life in verse 6. Now, I I, want to go back to that verse because it says we have been made servants of a new covenant. That is you who are saved. Okay, it's not pastors or evangelists. It is anyone who is a child of the Most High God, is a servant, is a minister of the new covenant. The problem is today, I have a hard time getting people to tell me what the new covenant is. And that should scare us to death because you just took of the cup, which was in his blood, which is the new covenant. And I know people right now who are taking of the cup who have no idea what the new covenant is. And that that ought to be disturbing And yet we just kind of cruise along like it ain't no big deal. 
I, I, I really struggle with that. Because in the new covenant, I have life. I am not under the law anymore. Okay, when I speak of the law, I break it down into three. One is the civil law that set Israel apart from all other nations. One is the moral law. You call that the Ten Commandments. The third is the ceremonial or the ritual law. That's all the old covenant. And if you look at the old covenant, I would ask, I would challenge every one of you, show me in the old covenant salvation. And it ain't there. It wasn't intended to save you. It was intended to tell you you need to be saved. All right. Um, you know, I, I, I had this discussion in our Sunday school class this morning. Uh, somebody, a very intelligent man and I were having a discussion. And he made the statement to me that the Holy Spirit working to convict of sin is a new covenant teaching. And I said, what? And he said, yeah. He says, in the new covenant, you know, in John, it says the Holy Spirit will convict the sin of the world of sin. And I said, well, I have to differ with you. And, and I, he said, well, why? And I said, total depravity didn't start with Calvin. It started with the garden. Okay, if I'm totally depraved, I need divine intervention to understand that I'm totally depraved. All right? And that is done by the person of the Spirit. Old Testament, New Testament. And, you know, of course, that made him scratch his head. And he says, you know, I've, I've never thought of it from that way. But, I, and, I, and I, I'm not a theologian. It's just I walk around thinking, dude, I don't, you don't have to prove to me total depravity. I can turn the news on. Okay, or smash my finger with the hammer. Oh, look, depravity. <laughs> okay, so when I look at the new covenant, it gives me life. The old covenant condemned me. It is a ministry of condemnation, verse 9 says. It is a ministry of death, verse 7 says. That's the old covenant. All right? But it also brings righteousness. We looked at that, verse 7, part, first part of 7 and 8 and 9. The old covenant had absolutely no ability to make you righteous. And yet I watch people in the body of Christ today who are working their tails off to be righteous before God, and they can't do it. You can't do it. Bless their hearts, but you'll see them. They've got the little wrinkles on their forehead, and they're ticked off all the time. Okay? I'm evangelizing because I'm supposed to. Well, I hope it works for you. But that is not the new covenant. The new covenant says, I am now right standing before God. Right now. Do you realize that you are as holy now as you're ever going to be? Now, you may not believe it, and you may not act like it, but it still doesn't make it not true. All right, so I am right, righteous. But the other thing is that the new covenant is permanent. The old covenant was passing. The whole letter of Hebrews is to deal with this topic. Is that the law condemned you and said you need to be saved. And the new covenant says, here's your savior. Okay, and this new covenant is permanent. But this new covenant also brings hope. Verse 12. Okay, this hope isn't a fleeting hope. Okay, verse 12 says, we have such hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Why? Because I can see what it does. I know what it does. God bought me. I am not my own. I am now a slave to righteousness. And it's all taken care of. Tell Telestai, it is finished. And you and I need to understand that. We should put a hope here. I look at the hope that goes on right now, and I look at the hope that is coming. I just got information this week, or yesterday, my son is going to Afghanistan. Duh. You joined the infantry. Josh, what did you think you were going to do? Uh, Bermuda? Uh, and, you know, and he says, well, Dad, you know, I thought maybe there'd be more time. And I was like, no, you, you're out of here. Sorry, buddy. 
And he says he's got his unit assignment and all the rest. And he says, you know, when they push, positioned me in, in Anchorage, I thought, you know, I'm in Anchorage. How? That's a long way from Afghanistan. Still infantry, dude. And so he's got his, he knows what's in the future. And, 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 and I told him, I said, you're going to learn where is your hope. Okay. And, and pray for him. He, he needs, his faith needs to be his, not his father and mother's. All right. And that hasn't happened yet. I, I will tell you that honestly. But I'm thinking Afghanistan may be that come to Jesus time. <laughs> I don't know. All right. But I share that because you know what? Regardless of what you and I see, my hope ain't here. I'm passing through. And, and you know, I, I get charged with that. Just, you just seem callous. No, I'm about my father's work while I'm here. But you know what? If you think I can save you, <laughs> you're confused. I can't sanctify you. I can't even do anything. I can walk with you. But, you know, that's some people tell me that's annoying. But I have hope. The new covenant is clear. 13 and 14. It's not like Moses. Moses had a veil. The old covenant was veiled. You couldn't see it clearly. Not only that, you add to it hard-heartedness. Okay? And, and you see it today. I see people in the body of Christ today who I keep most of the moral law. You know, I'm made out of ten on the Ten Commandments. All right? So what I do to make up for that kind of that I'm lacking on the moral side, I'll add some ceremonies. I'll go to Christmas Eve service. You know, candlelight. I'll buy the candles. All right, and you add a little ritual on the side there, and you think that, well, you know, we're getting ready to have a church picnic. I'll bring a grill. And that's what we have in our mindset that, you know what, I can't make the moral law, but you know what, I'll add some ceremony and some ritual stuff here on the side. I'm in. But the new covenant is not like that. The veil has been removed when you turn to the person of Christ. When I look at Christ, then I have clarity. It is absolutely clear, which brings me to the fact that it is Christ-centered. When I look into the face of Christ, I see the glory of God. When I look into a mirror, it is intimate. It is close. And I see the face of Christ. I am beholding the glory of God. I'm not looking at it through a veil. I'm looking at it for its glory. I'm looking at it in its reality. I'm not looking at a type. I'm not looking at a picture or a ceremony or symbolism. I'm looking at the person of Christ. Jesus made it this easy. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all things will be added to you. And we think, well, but I need to. No, no, it's that simple. It is that simple. I had a friend, pastor at a church, and he said, Terry, I've been to your church, and everybody's like, I got their Bible there, and they're reading it, and all the rest of it. He says, can you come up and get my people to do that? And I just smiled at him and said, get them saved. And he goes, what? Yeah. If people don't bring their Bibles, then they're not interesting. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Why? I go to my Bible because I want to see the face of Christ. Because then I behold the glory of God. Okay? So it is clear and Christ-centered. If you look at these that we've gone through, life and righteousness and permanence and hope and clear and Christ-centered, you note that these all build together. They all build together, which brings me to verse 17. Now the Lord is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Okay? The energy in the new covenant is divine energy. Listen, in the old covenant, okay, the law, nothing in the old empowered or energized or gave fuel for obedience. Did you know that? It was all done by 
man, I'm trying. All right? It was never divinely fueled. In the new covenant, the power is the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the law was the thing that handcuffed the sinner. The law was the jailer. The law was the bondage of the sinner. It bound the sinner to hell and death. The new covenant sets the prisoner free. I'm not handcuffed no more. I'm not in jail no more. I'm not oppressed no more. I'm not tormented no more. I don't walk around with guilt. I don't walk around with shame. Because the new covenant and the power of the Holy Spirit sets the prisoner free. The bondage is gone. I watch people who come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and then jump right back into jail. And you're sitting there going, what's the matter with you? You're free. I am not bound to the world anymore. Now watch us today. You watch the church today. I remember my brother in Russia told me, he says, Terry, I pray for you guys because he says, the church in America, you guys add Christ to your life. He says, we in Russia, Christ is life. And he's right. He's right. Read this book. Read this book. Just read the introduction. I read the introduction and said, I got to buy one of these for the church. What is a Christian? And that is the, the, the tragedy that exists. I was a prisoner to sin. I was a prisoner to the world. Now I'm free. I am out. I don't have shame. I don't have guilt. It doesn't. Now listen, it doesn't mean we mess up. That is not what I'm saying. But you know what? When I stumble, I get back up. I know I am still forgiven. And I know the Holy Spirit will make me victorious. I listen to people who struggle with addictions. Okay? And I need this and I'm recovering that and I'm kind of doing this. You know what? I never found anything before my salvation I wasn't addicted to. I don't care. Sure. And when Christ entered my life, he says, you're free, dude. This world is dim to you now. You don't need this. And I walked away from it. I'm not in remission. I'm saved. Why? Because I have divine power working in my soul. He convicts me when no one else knows I need to be convicted. It's like coveting. You can't see anybody coveting. I mean, they don't walk around, covet, 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 covet. You you don't know that they're coveting, and yet you know that it's wrong. It takes your focus off the person of Christ and the glory of God. And the Holy Spirit says, I don't think that's right. That is the power of the new covenant that is in Christ's blood. When a sinner turns to the Lord, the veil is gone. I see clearly. Okay, the Lord is that spirit who brings that freedom. Verse 17. You got that? Now, listen, I'm going to get into this now. And if you're going to daydream, I suggest you start now. Okay, if not, stay with it or you're going to end up in Waco, Texas with ATF outside. All right, I don't just stay with it. The old covenant chains me up. The new covenant breaks it and promises me forgiveness. My sins are as far as the east is from the west. All right. It is the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, who sets me free. All right? Now listen, you've got to get a hold of this. I don't have the time to go through the, a complete dissertation study on the person of the Holy Spirit. If you want that, you're going to have to catch up in our Sunday school class. The Lord is Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That Spirit is the Yahweh of the Old Covenant. Same thing. Okay, the old covenant drives me to my sin. 
Okay, here's what happens when you get convicted of sin. You blame somebody else. But that's not a new phenomenon. Adam did it. Eve did it. Right? But we have an ism. Right? Somebody or my uncle was a moonshiner, therefore I'm a drunk. You know, whatever we want to blame it on. We blame somebody, some situation. I have a chemical imbalance. All right? You hear this all the time. Why? You know, I act this way because of fill in the blank. The old covenant makes me despair. And when the Holy Spirit energizes that despair, you seek God's mercy and grace, and it is granted in the new covenant in the person of Christ. All right? Salvation through the new covenant is accomplished by the whole Spirit, Holy Spirit. That is the Lord Himself. All right? Anytime. Based on the new covenant work. Remember we looked at this? How did the Old Testament saints get saved? Retroactive to the new covenant. It was so powerful that it could save Joshua and Moses and Elijah and Elijah. Even yet the penalty of their sin had not been paid. So anytime there is salvation... Anytime. It is based on the new covenant work of Christ. All right? Salvation is always the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm amazed at the amount of confusion that people have over this. And Matt and myself were discussing it just a few minutes ago on this quote-unquote free will. All right? The Bible does not teach free will. It's a non-existent entity in Scripture. The only thing that I can get close to free will is what Adam and Eve had. Okay? And that that sort of went south. All right? There isn't. Do you make decisions? Yes. Yes, you do. There's not a person in this room. I mean, we really think about it. Your daily life is decisions, isn't it? What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? Where am I going to do? All the rest of it. Right? That's all it is. Okay? But if you think about it and you're honest with yourself, isn't in response to your nature? That's all it is. And yet we put up laws because sometimes my nature wants to go 45 in a school zone. Right? So I put a law up there. All right. Now, I want to be honest with you people on this. When you're driving down the road and you look in your mirror and there's a police car, what's your first thought? Praise Jesus for the police. <laughs> no, it ain't. Speed limit, brake. What's going on here? Oh, I forgot my seatbelt. Right? Why? There's got to be a law somewhere I'm breaking and he's behind me. That's what happens in the new covenant. It's, it is the work of the Spirit that applies the new covenant salvation to the repentant believer of any age. It hasn't changed. It has always been that way. This theologians call it regeneration. I think Baptists call it born again. The new birth, the renewing, or whatever you want to call it. It is always done by the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the question is, if I'm contrasting the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the first question I'm going to come up with is, what is the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? The Old Covenant. What did He do? All right, there's four ways to look at this. I will only get three of them today. All right, and we'll pick it up next week. First, if you go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 3, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Okay, the Spirit of the Lord. Creation. 
Okay. When we talk about something coming out of nothing, right? Nothing came into being that he didn't create. Do we understand that? I don't understand that. If you understand it, you're ahead of me. I don't know how you get everything out of nothing. Okay, that sounds like a government program. (laughs) I don't know what I would call that. He created the substance. Okay, now I I want you to think about this. When When you look at creation, you look at it and you say, God has a plan. Jesus creates time, space, matter, and energy. But if you look at time, space, matter, and energy in Genesis chapter 1, you will see that it was formless and void, and the Spirit was hovering over its surface. All right? God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form. All right? God is the master creator. He is the designer. He is the architect. Through Christ, he brought out nothing. Out of nothing, everything. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over it, and it is the Holy Spirit who gave it form. He took the formless void and made the heavens and the earth that you know. He brought form to what God had designed. All right? God had the plan. Through Christ, the formless void came about till the Spirit moved over it and He brought it to the appointed form. Now then, everybody's going to say, Wait a minute, that seems like quantum physics. Okay, let's go to Job then. Job 33, verses 4 through 6. The Spirit of God made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Breath is raha. Okay, the Greek term for that is pneuma. You know what that is? Spirit. It's translated spirit. Okay, the spirit of the almighty gives me life. Refute me if you can. Array yourselves before me. Take your stand. Behold, I belong to God like you. I too have been formed out of clay. Okay. You see that in Psalm 33. You can also see it in Psalm 104. All right, so you see the work of the spirit. Uh... Let's see, Jer- go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, one of my favorite texts, the one that I like to mess with people on. Isaiah 40, verse 12 and following. Who has measured the waters of the hollow of his hand? Who has marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by measure and weighed the mountains in the balance? The hills as a pair of scale. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him. Now, I know every one of you have informed him. Right? Some of us believe it's our duty to tell God what's going on. All right. But if you look at the creation... Who measured the dust? Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. Who, Who helped him? I mean, this is my favorite, one of my favorite texts. My wife gets on me at times. She says, you're too sarcastic. So's Isaiah. (laughs) So's Paul. Should I go down the list? Jeremiah, Ezekiel. (laughs) You know, I'm hanging out in good, sarcastic brothers. It is the Spirit of the Lord that brought about creation, the work of the Trinity in six days, its design and its order. The Son brought about existence. 
based on the Father's plan. And the Spirit took the substance and formed the things and designed what the Father wanted. Okay, now then, just a footnote. I want you to think about this for a second. How did a church come into being? Remember when he started out with the pile of dirt? Okay, and made Adam? Okay, it says that he did what? Haraka. The Numa. The Spirit. You see that? Man came from the Spirit of God. The church came from. And you believe you can add to it how? Do you see what we've done? Look how we've corrupted what God does. You know, if I do this and this and this, then this will happen. Only if the Spirit wants it. Your spiritual gifts, where'd they come from? As He desires. He wants you to have this. Well, what if I don't want it? <laughs> I lost that argument. Go ahead. <laughs> you, you want to take it? Have you ever thought about that? I can look at the creation model and say, look, that's the church. And do you see the energy source that is behind it? Do you understand that? Isaiah says you will run and not grow weary. You will have wings of eagles. And I ask you, we all sit there and we go, amen, brother. Until we have to run. Until we have to run. Okay. So the first thing you see the Spirit in the Old Testament doing is what? Creation. The second thing you see in the Old Testament is what I call empowerment. Empowerment. In the Old Testament, if you get your uh, strongest concordance out and crank it through and see the Spirit of the Lord came upon fill in the blank. It's a very common thing. You see it a lot. Let me show you something about this. And, and you'll be really good in your Bible trivia class. Do we have a Bible trivia class? Uh, all right, the book of Judges. Can okay, I understand Judges chronologically? There's no kings in Israel. You have Judges. Okay? Chapter 14 is the one I want to pick up because everybody knows this cat. All right? Samson. In verse 6, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And he tore apart a lion as one tears apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. Okay? Ta-da! So judges, a man placed by God, empowered for a purpose that God had ordained. Okay, now, now keep that in mind. So there's empowerment. But there's a tragedy in Samson. You move over just a couple of chapters to chapter 16, verse 20. We all know this story, right? Delilah. Okay. Most people, if you ask them, how did Samson lose his strength? They will tell you he got a shaved head. Right? She cut his hair. Well, 20 says that's not true. Okay. The the long hair on Samson was the promise of a Nazarite vow. All right. Now, if you break that vow, do you know all the ways to break that vow? Well, the haircut. No, 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 no. There's a lot of other ways. Sex outside of marriage that he did on a regular basis. Touching a dead animal that he did on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. And liquor that he did on a regular. And I think those all kind of go together. (laughs) You mess with dead things and you end up with loose women and drunk. (laughs) And Proverbs tell you you'll, a young man will lose his strength doing that. And amen. <laughs> Here's what happened. Verse 20. The Philistines upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out other times and shake myself free. Here's the tragedy. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. And shortly thereafter, they burned his eyes out. But the Lord came back again 
and he tore down the building of the Philistines and killed all the Philistines' rulers. But that's the tragedy. You see the Spirit come, accomplish what he needs, the Spirit leaves. Now be careful with that, okay? Because go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 10. Told you this is going to be like a Bible study. Ezekiel 10, verse 4. Here's what is happening. Ezekiel's prophesying to Judah, telling them that, you know what? Israel's gone into captivity. That's the northern ten kingdoms. You have Judah and Benjamin down south. And he says, God's going to do the same thing. And they're all looking at Ezekiel, telling him, be quiet. Can't you see that we're God's people? We have the temple. We da, 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 da. It's the typical American church. Okay. And he says, then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub. Okay, the cherub that he's speaking of here is the, the two angels that sit on the mercy seat in the temple. Okay, it says, the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the temple. And the temple was filled with a cloud and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. So you see the glory of the Lord is now and the spirit of the Lord is now moving out of the holy of holies. Okay, now you say, well, that's, uh, that's all right. Well, let me show you this. Go over to chapter 11, verses 21 through 25. Okay, he's contrasting here. Ezekiel is, I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within them. I will take the heart of stone out and I will put, give them one of flesh and I will make them a heart of flesh. They will walk in my statutes. They will keep my ordinance and do them. And they will be my people and I will be their gods. Okay, but here's what he says. But those whose hearts go after detestable things and abominations, I will bring their conduct down on their heads, declares the Lord. Then, okay, now understand what he said here. He's given you a near-far prophecy, okay? He's talking about the new covenant. I will put a new heart in them. That's the new covenant. Now, and he's contrasting it to the one that they've got. He says, those who are detestable, I will bring it down. Look what he says here. For those who have hearts that go after detestable things and abominations, I will bring their conduct down on their heads. Then the cherub lifted by their up their wings and the wheels beside them and the glory of God of Israel hovered over them. The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is to the east of the city. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me a vision of the Spirit of God to the exiles in Chaldea, and so that the vision that I had seen left me. What he just told you there is that the Spirit of God protecting Jerusalem left. Okay? And it's similar. Now, now you got to understand something. Ezekiel's telling the religious leaders this is happening. And, of course, the religious guys are all experts. They know everything that's going on. And they say, you're crazy, Ezekiel. I'm telling you, you're just annoying the king. You're just cause. And guess what happened? Babylonian captivity. The glory of the Lord left Jerusalem and Nebuchadnezzar came in. And I told the exiles of all the things that the Lord has said. And he takes over. You see this often in the Old Testament. Um... Now, I want to give you a little footnote on this because some assume that this is the normal relationship of the Holy Spirit to an Old Testament believer. Okay? I do not believe that that is the intent of this writing. I look at God coming in, empowering and working, all right, and then because of the detestable things, He leaves. I mean, the greatest tragedy about Samson isn't the tying a bunch of 300 foxes' tails on fire and turning them loose into crops or... The other things, the greatest thing that is detestable about Samson is the spirit of the Lord left and he didn't know it. King David had Uriah killed and was with going to have an illegitimate child with Bathsheba. And he said, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. He was smart smart enough to say, dude, this isn't going to work out well. All right, now, I see people who believe that when the Old Testament leaves Samson or, or, or when the Old Testament left David or something like that, they weren't saved. Uh, no. Um, let me ask you a question. How long would anyone 
be a believer if the Holy Spirit left in any age? Okay? Listen, divine life, the divine life isn't something anyone can humanly sustain. Do you understand that? I can't maintain my salvation. That's impossible. So the Holy Spirit is still always there. Here's the other problem. He's omnipresent. Where does he go to leave? Listen, if you take the Holy Spirit and remove him, you only have one thing left. Fallenness. (laughs) That's all you got. So, but you see the Holy Spirit empowering. You see the Holy Spirit energizing certain people for accomplishing divine tasks. A spiritual gift is what? An energizing of an individual for a divine task. All right. You know, I, I, do, some of you guys remember, remember when they used to have the, the Holy Spirit surveys and you go through and this is what the whole, this gift looks like when you're spirit filled. And this is what this gift looks like if you're not spirit filled. You know what that means, right? In the flesh. And it was funny because I remember going through these classes and I watched these people and they were all picking out their, their spiritual gifts based on how it looked fleshly. And I kept thinking, what's wrong with that picture? Then it dawned on me, I have divine enabling from a holy God to be controlled by my flesh? Really? No. No. The Holy Spirit energizes people, gives them a power and ability, and it is beyond normal. I know people right now who are phenomenal speakers. They're not Holy Spirit led. Okay, it's a talent. I've seen people who are just gifted speakers. All right. But it doesn't make it Holy Spirit energized. There's a special time. Every time it says that the Holy Spirit came upon or left a person, it was for the purpose of an empowerment. Um, No time do you see this coming and going as an issue of personal salvation. Okay? It is for empowering people in the Old Testament. Okay? Now then, I want to make this as really quick as I can, all right? Basically, if you look at your Bible and you see this the Holy Spirit coming on or the Holy Spirit leaving, you're going to see that it's four kinds of people in the Old Testament. One was judges. You know what's amazing about the judges being overcome by the Holy Spirit? There's only four. Jephthah, Ophnia, Gideon, Samson. None of the rest of them, you see scripture say the Holy Spirit came upon them. Okay, so do you understand what I'm trying to get at there? That is not normal. But you see four judges out of all of them who God came on to give them a task. All right. Um, the second group that you see were the craftsmen. And these were the ones who were working on implements related to the worship of God, be it either in the tabernacle or in the temple. The craftsmen were supernaturally empowered for building something for the worship of God. Then you see it, thirdly, in the leaders, government people for the nation of Israel. But it's very slim. You see it in Moses. You see it in Joshua, you see it in King Saul, and you see it in King David. Other than that, you don't see it. You never see it with Solomon. But you do see it with those four. Okay, that that goes back to that do not take your spirit away from me illustration I gave you. Why? Uh, I'm ruling people and I need supernatural abilities to do this. And I've kind of made a mess of this. Do not take this ability away from me. All right. You know, I think about that that one time that I went to um, Russia and I didn't sleep. I didn't rest on anything that wasn't moving for 24, 
30 hours, something like that. And all of a sudden I show up in this town at six o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning. He said, oh, by the way, this morning you need to give the message. (laughs) This is going to be in tongues. (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to say. And then when I got done preaching that message, those two Russian ladies came up crying, saying we had prayed God would give someone to explain this text to us. I got news for you, dude. I did not plan that. (laughs) It was like, no, man, you got to be kidding me. I'm I'm trying. I'm praying for an out-of-body experience. All right. But that's the kind of stuff that I try to explain to. So you see what what I said, the judges, you see the craftsmen and you see the leaders. All right. Um, Then the last one that you see in the Old Testament is the prophets. Those that are speaking on behalf of God are empowered by the Holy Spirit. All right. Elijah, Elisha. Okay, uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. You know what? It even says that the Spirit of God came upon Balaam. Okay, and he prophesied Messiah. All right? So, clear on the empowering in the Old Testament. Okay, I told you it's covering an awful lot of stuff today, and I'm not done. The third ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is what I call Revelation. Okay, prophets being revealed the word of God. Okay, um, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Old Testament. Okay, Paul told Timothy, all scripture is God breathed. You know what that word breathed is? Pneuma. You know what pneumatology is? The study of the spirit. Okay. So all scripture is God breathed. Did you get that? It doesn't say that the red letter edition is God breathed. Okay. I had a conversation this week with a couple of uh, intellectual people who are not saved. And they were trying to tell me there's no difference between the Bible and the Koran and Confucius and Buddha. And I just snickered and uh, began the dissertation. And uh, Peter speaks of this, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Okay? This is where, well, men wrote the Bible. No. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will but by men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Okay. Well, you know, does that really, I don't know. That sounds, okay, let's go to Zechariah. Chapter 7, verse 12. He made their hearts like flint so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Okay. You see the energy of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament in creation, empowering for divine task, and for revelation. This is what God says. Okay. Next week, I won't pick up number four because it ties into the new covenant and it is the doctrine, the understanding of regeneration. Okay, that's what theologians call it. Uh, We call it the new birth, renewed, the changed heart, the heart of stone is now a heart of flesh. Whichever ones you want, you pick it, just run with it. But it will always be the work of the Holy Spirit and it was the same in the old as it is in the new under the law and under grace. It is still the work of the Holy Spirit that regenerates or saves or changes the heart. All right. That's remember. I got, I told you guys one of the things that gets me in the most trouble. Okay. You know, and I have dealt with spiritual gifts. I've dealt with this, that, and the other. The one thing that causes me to, I get into more trouble over is you don't look saved. 
And they, they say, what? You don't know my heart. Nope, I don't. But you still don't look saved. <laughs> I know what lost people look like. And you're defined. If I look lost people, they're a picture of you. Well, it's true. I'm telling you, people, what you're seeing in the body of Christ today is against what Scripture says. I don't care what they say. Well, I said the prayer. Show me in the Bible where it says, say a prayer, you'll be saved. I never found it. Because the work of regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is only the same Spirit that brought revelation from God. It is the only one that brought empowerment so that men and women could carry out the task of God. And it is the one that was involved in creation. And it should make a change in a person who is regenerate. And I'll pick this up next week because I'm fired up about it. All right? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for my brother Paul in Second Corinthians and in this letter to encourage our ministry. Father, help us to have ears. Father, help us not to play this game. Father, as our brothers and sisters in Russia say, may Christ be our life, not added to our life. Father, get us out of the entanglements that so easily entrap us. Father, let us look at your covenant and understand that it is a promise from you sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to rest full weight upon that. May may we be overwhelmed with Jesus and the glory of our saving God and the power of your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.